today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith. How long does it take you to begin to rejoice when something difficult happens? When something hard comes into your life? Well, that's a test of your obedience. And joy is resident to every believer who walks in obedience and who is in the will of God. Some who lack joy, as Billy Sunday said, somewhere there's a leak in your Christianity. Reaching up high with arms open wide we see You're changing our lives so we can be our heads and Even in the midst of terrible times, God says that joy is our possession. Pastor Ed tells us today that we are to stay in a state of rejoice and repetition. We should always be remembering the great things God has done for us and be thankful for it. Not only that, but we should be in repetition of His Holy Word. Christ our Lord came to us so that we might have eternal life. We're saved. Though dark times may come for you, find joy through knowing that eternity with Christ awaits. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's message, Safeguarding Your Faith. Building in Faith Philippians chapter 3, beginning to read with verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God. We glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Paul the Apostle is going to show us how to safeguard our faith, how to safeguard your walk with the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, will you come by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you lift your word from the text of Scripture and inscribe it on our hearts and change our lives We pray in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. There's a monastery in Portugal that's high on a cliff about 3,000 feet above sea level. And the only way to access that monastery is by a large basket that people can sit or stand in and what connects that monastery with down below is that basket and a rope. And they take several men to pull that basket up. Well, there was a a traveler from the United States, and they were visiting and wanted to see the monastery. And they were about halfway up that 3,000 journey to that monastery on the cliff in the basket, And they noticed that the rope was frayed 
old and tattered. And he wasn't the only one that noticed it, but other people in the basket. And they began to just become a little alarmed. And so he wanted to alleviate his alarms and theirs as well. And so he asked the monk, who was their guide, who was taking them up, how often do they change that rope? Monk said, every time it breaks. (laughs) Well, we want a safeguard. Now, you could see that in the cars that we buy. We want to know that they have side airbags, front airbags, anti-lock brakes, you know, a, a head rest in the back so you don't get whiplash, and, and on and on it, it goes in our homes. We have fire alarms, you know, the smoke detectors and uh, uh, dead bolts and uh, we have an alarm system on my house and every time I go out my wife puts it on I may just go out for a walk and I come back it's on I don't know if she's trying to tell me something or not (laughs) what are you kidding Joyce (laughs) but Paul the apostle talks about a safeguard a safeguard for our faith for our walk with the Lord and in each one of these verses There's this aspect of what that safeguard is. In verse 1, he says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. What he's telling them is remember the basics. Remember The basics. Those teachings that we build our faith on, those basics that we learned when we first came to Christ, those basics that are fundamental to the life of the Christian, he says, remember those. Uh, There are two that he especially is referring to here. One is to rejoice, and the second is repetition. Rejoice and repeat. The first one, rejoice. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. This is a command. It's not an option. It's not something that you're just to think about. It's something that you're to do, to act on. Rejoice in the Lord. A number of years ago, there was a teaching that if something bad happened to you, You were to rejoice, but you were to rejoice about that event. In other words, if you stubbed your toe and were in pain, start praising the Lord that you stubbed your toe. Or if something bad were to happen, you were to lose your job, or suddenly you were to become ill, or there was some type of uh, crisis that came about, you were to praise the Lord about that. That's not what Paul is talking about, and the Bible isn't making reference to that either. The Bible is referring to, in the midst of our problems, where to look up. See, joy started there. Don't you remember? The angels gave the message to the shepherds. Let me read it to you. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. It started in heaven. And Jesus, before he went back to heaven, in his high priestly prayer, 
in John chapter 17 is praying to the Father and he says, Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. We are promised that joy is our possession. In the midst of the trial, your joy can shine brightly in the darkest night. We're to rejoice at his presence, at his promise that God is with us. The good shepherd, the counselor, the wonderful prince of peace, the wonderful counselor. In Philippians chapter 4, again, he tells us to rejoice. Again and again through the book of Philippians, he's talking about joy. He's talking about rejoicing. And he says in chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, there are times that you have to prime the well, that you have to begin by praising him. And begin by thanking them, even when you don't feel like it. But Paul says, don't lose your joy. And you keep it by rejoicing. When the enemy comes with a temptation to pull you out of the kingdom, to take you away from the family of God, if you're happy in the family, you won't be pulled out. The temptation will lose its attractiveness. It will lose its pull because you have the joy of the Lord. The enemy tries to defeat Christians through discouragement, through disappointment. And he wants to fill their hearts with that sense of despair. Uh, Paul the apostle recognized that he could rejoice in the midst of every problem. And God would show him something to rejoice about. Even when... There were those who were trying to add to his affliction by preaching the gospel. He began to rejoice that others were being saved, even though people had the wrong intentions when they were preaching the word. I read about a story about a western town where there was a tornado. It came and ripped the roof of a house off. And the wind was so strong it picked the couple up that were in their bed, and it took that bed... And it wasn't very far from the county line, and it took that bed with the couple, and it placed them over the county line. And it gently put them down. They were still in the bed, and the wife was bawling and crying, and her husband tried to comfort her. He said, look, we're safe. Don't worry. She said, no, I'm just so happy. This is the first time we've been out together for 10 years. (laughs) So we could rejoice in the Lord. J.I. Packer said, Joy is not an accident of temperament or an unpredictable providence. Joy is a matter of choice. Paul was going through those difficult times in his personal life, but yet he chose to rejoice. That's why in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah counseled believers He said, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
The joy on the inside will keep you from crumbling when the pressure is applied to the outside. It's a therapy for your mind, for your spirit, for your body. Rejoice in the Lord, Paul tells us. It was Walter Craddock who said, take a saint and put him in any condition, and he knows how to rejoice in the Lord. How long does it take you to begin to rejoice when something difficult happens, when something hard comes into your life? Well, that's a test of your obedience. And joy is resident to every believer who walks in obedience and who is in the will of God. Some who lack joy, as Billy Sunday said, somewhere there's a leak in your Christianity. Sin will rob us of our joy. But if we're walking with him, we can have joy unspeakable and full of glory. That is our promise. And so Paul the Apostle said, here's a safeguard for your Christian walk. Here's a safeguard to keep you in the faith. Rejoice. And then he mentions repeat, repetition. Uh, Notice in 3.1 it says... Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it's a safeguard for you. So Paul is writing to them. He's speaking to them. He's telling them the same stories again. I heard about a preacher. He had come to a church. He was brand new as the pastor of that church. And the preacher that first week preacher stirring message they were hallelujahs and amens and people responded and they were excited about it well next week came and he preached the same message again a few less hallelujahs a few less amens a few less praise the lord the third week came and he preached the same message again and the deacons began to scratch their head and they said listen we got to talk to our new pastor You know, it was all right to repeat a message once in a while, but three weeks in a row. And so at the meeting, they said, Pastor, it's a good message, but do you have any other messages? And he says, oh, yeah. But he says, I keep on preaching the same message until the congregation gets it. (laughs) Well, Paul kept on repeating some truths because he wanted us to get it. And we need repetition. There is something about us that we like novelty. God likes repetition. In fact, we are to remember and to rehearse his deeds and his words. We're to recall what he said. We're to repeat. The longer you walk with God, the more you love the gospel story. Remember... The songwriter who said, I love to tell a story. Let me read just a couple of the verses of that song. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it is true. It satisfies my longing as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story. It will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story, more wonderful it seems than all the golden fancies of all our golden dreams. I love to tell the story. It did so much for me. 
And that is just the reason I tell it now to thee. And then he ends with this last line. I love to tell the story. For those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when it's scenes of glory, I sing the new, new song. T'will be the old, old story that I have loved so long. It doesn't lose its wonder to hear about Christ dying on the cross, being buried in the tomb, being raised from the dead, and ascending to heaven, and the promise that he will return again. Don't look for something novel, some new self-help method, dressed in gospel garment that's shallow and has no theology to it. Paul said, I'm going to write to you again. Peter emphasized how he was writing to them, telling them things they already heard, that they already knew. We need again and again. Uh, I think it's so important that believers know the the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the statements of faith. It's these simple, basic Bedrock truths that we build our faith on, that we build our hope on. My faith, my trust is in Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. A holy lean on Jesus' name. The basic truths, Paul says, remember them, recall them, rehearse them, review them, rejoice and remember. And he moves on to another safeguard. Reject the extremes. Reject the extremes. In Paul's day, it took the form of Judaizers. These were Jewish believers who felt that Paul had shortchanged the Gentiles by not giving them the Old Testament law. It wasn't enough to receive Christ. They wanted to add to it. Now, the question had been settled in Acts chapter 15 at a council. Let me read to you some of the words that this council, where Peter and James, the Lord's brother, uh, presided. And now, are you going to correct God by burdening the Gentiles with a yoke that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear? Don't you believe that all are saved the same way by the free gift of the Lord Jesus Christ? Salvation is through Jesus. Uh, But there were some who felt, "Ah, we got to see them follow dietary law found in the book of Leviticus. Uh, No, they need to be circumcised, a sign of the covenant. No, they need to observe Jewish holidays and regulations. And and, and Paul was saying, no, no, the Gentiles don't have all of those laws. There's a new covenant that God has formed, that God has established with believers. And what happened is these went around as teachers trying to correct Paul's teaching, and Paul, listen to his strong words. Watch out for those dogs. Now, I know you're scratching your head, saying, 
Well, I know I wouldn't want to be called a dog, but it's not that bad. Well, wait a minute. I know in your neighborhood, when you walk your dogs, you may not know your neighbor's name, but you know those dogs' names. And, and people just spend all sorts of money on, of course, their pets. And dogs are one of the, well, man's best friend, as they say. But back in biblical times, people didn't have dogs as pets. They would roam the streets like scavengers, like wild packs of wolves. An equivalent, in our thinking, might be to call them rats. So Paul the Apostle uses a derogatory term. He's not going to mince words because this is serious business with these people who are perverting the gospel because grace plus works destroys grace. Christ plus anything takes away from Christ. It exalts man and it lessens Jesus. And so Paul the Apostle didn't want them in any way to become caught up in the teachers who were teaching false doctrine. And their teachings were detrimental. Uh, Someone, uh, John Ruskin said, I believe that the root of almost every schism and heresy from which the Christian church has ever suffered has been the effort of men to earn rather than to receive their salvation. Someone else has said, one era is the bridge to another. What happens is you begin believing the wrong thing, and it could start out okay. But you say, boy, this is a nice tradition, and then you raise the tradition to the uh, place of a, a biblical precept, and you take that biblical uh, that precept and you make it a law, and you say, well, if you're really a good Christian, this is how you, if you really want favor with God, this is how you, well, you fill it in. It's important to tithe. But don't come to church saying, you know, I've been tithing, God has to hear me. He hears us because of mercy and grace. Well, I've been faithful to the church. Well, that is absolutely such a blessing, and we should be. But don't put the cart before the horse and begin to think it's because of what you've done or haven't done that you have favor with God and acceptance with God. He actually calls these men workers of evil. Now, they wouldn't have seen themselves in that way. They wouldn't have seen themselves in that light because they're thinking they're doing good. But Paul says, no, you're working evil in the church because as soon as you begin to trust your pedigree, your works... Instead of trusting in the cross and the cross alone, you're moving away from God. Let me say that again. As soon as you begin to trust in any of those things, you're moving away from God. When you were saved and you accepted Jesus Christ, did you come and plead before him your good works and say, Lord, I want to be accepted because of these things, these things, and these things? No, you simply came and you repented and you said, oh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. You approach God again and again and again throughout the journey on the basis of his grace and his mercy. Now, we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Please do them. But don't put your faith in them. 
put your faith in Christ and be careful that you don't judge others on the basis of how you live the Christian life. Dr. Ed Jones is taking us through the book of Philippians, which Paul wrote to encourage the believers in Philippi while he was in prison. It's our prayer that learning more about this letter is encouraging to you as well. We can all take hope in Paul's words when he said, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. How awesome is it to know that every good work Jesus began in us will be completed without fail? As Jesus does good work in our lives, it is so important to be in community. Are you part of a local body of believers? If you're in the Poughkeepsie, New York area and haven't yet found a home church, we'd love to see you at Faith Assembly. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. to worship together and learn more from God's Word. We also have a Bible study Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. that enables us to dig deeper into the Scriptures together. We'd love to see you there. For more information, you can call 845-462-5955 or you can find us online at buildinginfaithradio.com. There you can find directions and service times, as well as additional messages from Pastor Ed. Once again, that number is 845-462-5955. Call us with your prayer requests, because we'd love to be praying for you. Remember to come back for the next edition of Building in Faith Radio to hear more from Pastor Ed on the book of Philippians. Your word restores.